I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 100. We, um, I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight. Um, you may or may not want to uh, keep, try to keep up with us, uh, with uh, some of what we turn to, but it, uh, at the very least, I hope you make some notes so that you can go back in your own time and, and look at some of these scriptures. You know, uh, T.L. Osborne in his book, Healing the Sick, uh, which sold well over, well, several millions, I'm not sure how many millions of copies, but it, over the years it sold millions of copies worldwide. He at one time, I'm not sure if he would still hold this record today uh, since he went home to be with the Lord a few years ago, but at one time he preached face-to-face, so to speak, um, or in person to more people than anybody in the history of mankind. And he preached the healing word of God on every continent and saw miracles and signs and wonders and things like that uh, in, in such a measure that it would stagger the human mind. And he said, he made the statement in his book, Healing the Sick, that wherever the gospel is preached, that healing belongs to everyone. He said, healing always works. He um, was a part of a a denominational group for a time. This was many, many years ago, over 50 years ago now, I guess. And there was, uh, I say he belonged to a denominational group. That's not accurate. There was a denominational group that invited him in to speak at one of their conventions. And um, they they really had a kind of an ulterior motive, a, a specific purpose in mind. They asked him, when he, um, uh, he would preach some of the, the night messages and that type of thing, but in the afternoons he would have workshops with, uh, or at least he had one during the, the week with uh, the ministers and the, the pastors of that uh, denominational group. And they had kind of a panel discussion type set up in this big convention, and it was over, well over a 1,000 ministers there. And uh, so they asked him, the leader of the organization and the MC of the convention said, Brother Osborne, we brought you here for a specific purpose. That purpose is we want to know why you get results on the mission field and we don't. And Brother Osborne hemmed and hawed for a little bit and he said, well, he said, I'm just going to have to tell you the truth. You asked me, so I'm just going to tell you the truth. He said, if I can beat you to a country, I can have signs and wonders and miracles because I'll be the first one to preach to them and tell them that healing belongs to everybody and that God's still the God of miracles. He said, but if your missionaries beat me to a country, you'll preach and tell them that God doesn't do that stuff anymore and so that when I get there later on, I can't have the same kind of miracles and healings that I would have otherwise. He said, I'm on a mission to beat you to every country of the world because if I can get there first, I can show them the power of God. Well, I think that's instructive for all of us. I think that um, it helps explain some things to us because there are so many times where people in the church world have prayed, sought healing, attempted to use their faith and so forth without success. And, of course, the devil's always there sitting on your shoulder trying to tell you that it's God's fault some way or another, that you did everything humanly possible and so forth. You know, the only time the devil will ever take your side is against God. Otherwise, he's against you. But in reality, 
so many of the times, so much of the time, we need to take the word of God and chip away little by little by little, piece by piece by piece, at some of the hard-headed thinking, the wrong-headed thinking that we've developed through years of hearing unbelief preached in the church. Well, I've got a simple message tonight that I want to share with you. And hopefully it will chip away a little bit more at our hard-headed thinking, our wrong-headed thinking. Psalm 100, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only five verses. A psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Now I want you to notice verse 5. For the Lord is good. All the, the preceding verses about praising God and thanksgiving and so forth. Here's the reason. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. How long is everlasting? That means never ending, doesn't it? That means eternal. That means no gaps, no holes, no lack, no interruptions. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. I want you to notice something. He equates mercy with truth. Those are the two characteristics that it said Jesus was full of, full of mercy and truth. In other words, his mercy is just as reliable as the truth of God's word. And remember Jesus said in several occasions that heaven and earth would pass away, but his word will never fail. That means in the same way, by joining and connecting them together, God's mercy can never fail. Now let's define our terms. The word mercy in both the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek mean basically the same thing. Well, even further than basically, they mean exactly the same thing. It means very simply this. It means kindness and it means compassion. And it's always used in context with somebody getting not what they deserve, but somebody receiving the kindness or the compassion of God to receive something good. It's never used any other way. You know how many times it's used in the King James? 276 times. It speaks of the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God. Now, you may remember the story in Second Chronicles chapter 20 where it tells us about Israel. Uh, well, at that time, the kingdoms were divided. It was uh, King Jehoshaphat was the, kingdom of, was the king of Judah, the one and a half tribes of Judah. And there were five enemy kings that had come out against them. Well, Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. Militarily, they were outmatched. And so Jehoshaphat set his, set his face and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. They sought the Lord. Well, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet by the name of Jehaziel. And he said, he prophesied a great prophecy. He said, by the Spirit of God, that you shall not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But then he said what they were supposed to do. He said that they were supposed to go out against the enemy the next day. Now, I think a lot of times we like the first part of that, that you shall not need to fight in this battle. The victory is already yours. But then we want to stay home and not have to go out against the enemy. That's the tough part. Well, Jehoshaphat, everybody got real happy about the prophecy, the declaration of victory. 
But the morning, next morning came out, came up, or came around. And Jehoshaphat reminded the people of what was said yesterday. Remember what the prophet said to us. Remember how happy we were and how excited we were yesterday. See, the excitement a lot of times doesn't last till the next morning. And so you've got to stir yourself up. So he said, remember what was prophesied. Remember what the prophet said. Believe in the Lord and so you shall proper, profit, prosper. Believe in his prophets and so shall you have the victory. So he set, a, uh, he set singers out in front of the army. He appointed singers and praisers to the Lord. And he directed them on what to praise God by saying. They praised God saying, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And that song of victory brought them to victory. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments, the Bible says. And all these five different enemy armies began fighting each other. By the time they got there, all the, all the enemy was dead and they just carried away the stuff. Just like God said, they didn't have to fight. But they did have to act. And that action had to do with a recognition and a proclamation of God's mercy that endures forever. Now I want you to look with me also to some other scriptures. And I'll, I'll try to make my point as we go. Look with me to the, um, well, let me, let me define my terms a little bit for, further. Turn with me to Psalm 103. But while you're doing that, I want to remind you of, of what um, uh, the New Testament tells us about the mercy of God. So the mercy meaning kindness and compassion. So that we can have an understanding of what it means when it talks about the mercy of the Lord is everlasting. You remember in Luke chapter 15, he tells us a story about the prodigal son. I'm going to read this um, because I think it's so significant. Luke 15, this is beginning in verse 11. And then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, I love this phrase. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Here's the same word mercy. And had compassion on him. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, son goes through his speech. Son said unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I think this is a great example of what the, the mercy of the Lord is like in a, in a way that we can relate to. His father didn't give him what he deserved. Didn't even give him the lecture that he probably deserved. 
He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't go through any of the things that we would naturally think that uh, was due unto the younger brother or the younger son. His father, out of compassion, did what was right in his eyes and not his son's eyes. That's what the mercy of the Lord is. And when it talks about the mercy of the Lord is everlasting, it means God always deals with his children that way. Psalm 103, in verse 11, it says, For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Well, how much higher is the heaven over the earth? I'm not sure we can measure it. It says, So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Notice in verse 17 of the same psalm, It says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children or unto children's children. In Psalm 136, a Psalm of David, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. To him alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for a heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even a heritage unto Israel, his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And has redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. First of all, what do you get out of that psalm? The mercy of the Lord endures forever. But now think a little bit further about that. Don't don't look at this as poetry. Think about each and every verse of this scripture. Each and every verse of the whole Bible is inspired by the Holy Ghost for a specific purpose. So if the Holy Ghost is inspiring David to write these things. And every verse of scripture, every work of the Lord that's identified and remembered is because of his mercy. What do you think God wants you to get from that? The greatness of his mercy. The greatness of his kindness. How great his compassion is towards you and me. Toward his people. Psalm 145. Verse 8. Kind of summarizes everything that Psalm 136 said. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. 
Now, folks, if you're full of compassion, that means there's no room for anything else. If you're full of anything, there's no room for anything else. Well, what's God full of? According to the Bible, he's full of compassion. A willingness to show himself good, not deal with us according to what we deserve. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, not just a few, but everybody. That means he's full of compassion toward everybody. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. Well, that's what David was saying in Psalm 136. Every work that God did, everything that he brought to remembrance about the goodness of God and the powerful display of God on behalf of his people was because of his mercy. Isaiah 58, I'm sorry, Isaiah 54, verse 8. God said to Israel, in a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Now here's the question. We know that the Bible says that God never changes. We also know that the Bible says that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, full of mercy. Compassion and mercy are one and the same thing. His tender mercies are over all of his works, and his mercy never runs out. And not only that, but he's not just compassionate to a few people that deserve it. He's good to everybody. He's compassionate toward everyone. How many of you have confidence or we might say have faith. Faith is confidence. How many of you have confidence in God's mercy because he's been good to you, not according to what you deserve, but much better according to his goodness? You'd be hard-pressed to find a Christian that couldn't join that group. Everybody knows that God's mercy has helped them. Well, Jesus was an example of God's mercy here on the earth, wasn't he? Didn't he come to reveal the Father to us? Look at how God's mercy was manifested and displayed in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. I want you to notice that phrase. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now you know as well as I do that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse any more than you and I would write a letter in chapter and verse. So chapter 10 is con- directly connected to what he was talking about or what is being spoken about in chapter 9. He's moved with compassion toward the multitudes, so he tells the disciples to pray for laborers to help the people. And then that's exactly what he does in chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called them unto, called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Notice what the compassion of Jesus did. The compassion of Jesus, the mercy of God, sent forth additional laborers to do the work that Jesus couldn't get to as just one person on his own. To multiply the work. And specifically, the work of deliverance and healing. Look with me over to Matthew chapter 14. 
Matthew chapter 14, it says uh, in verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now remember the Old Testament scriptures that we, that we looked at? For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy or his compassion. Same words to them that fear him. When Jesus was moved with compassion, he healed the sick. Next, I want you to look with me over to Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 40, and it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him. And kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now we talk about this a lot. Because this is one guy out of the multitudes. and uh, I assume that means thousands. Maybe more. But out of the multitudes of people that came to Jesus, we have only one instance, one recorded instance, of somebody that questioned Jesus' willingness to heal. Now that I would submit to you that that is the number one question among the church today. But only one guy. Now if, if this was a common occurrence. And the Bible only gives us one instance. That tells us something. It tells us that Jesus. Or it tells us how Jesus responded to the question. But I don't think it would be a, a faithful representation. Do you? I think. That since the Bible only tells us of one person that had this question. That this was the only time that it occurred. Or else why wouldn't the Bible tell us? But either way. We see how God deals with the issue. And the question when it's raised. However many times it is raised. Here's how Jesus dealt with the issue of. Is it God's will to heal? The leper came and said master. If you will you can. I believe you can. I just don't know if you will. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Notice what caused Jesus to minister healing to this man. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Because the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. I don't know how many that is, but it sounds like a crowd. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, thou son of David, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace, but they cried the more, saying, notice what they said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will you that I shall do unto you? Notice the cry for mercy stopped Jesus in his tracks. Now, if Jesus hadn't changed, and the Bible says in Hebrews thirteen eight that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what does the Bible tell us that the call for mercy does for Jesus now? Stops him in his tracks. And notice that Jesus didn't decide or dictate to them what they would have. He requested of them 
to tell him, what do you want me to do? It's almost as if it's a blank check. It's almost as if it's the sky's the limit. What do you want me to do? And they said unto him, Lord, their eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We've given you five. I want you to see one last one. This is in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read it. This is quite a few verses. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and those chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. I want you to realize, folks, there's supernatural power taking place here. This guy's breaking chains and, and wooden fetters, you know, the things that they're lock people up with. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he, Jesus, had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he, the evil spirit, answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. So there's a lot of demonic activity taking place here, but there's one guy in charge named Legion. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Folks, you need to understand something. The devil is territorial. Now there were in, there was nigh there under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, which is contrary to the law of Moses. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Now notice now all of them are speaking. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Now notice the way that the Bible says that. He was possessed. He had been possessed with the devil. There was one in charge and had the legion or the many. Now they see him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. People in their right mind wear clothes. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And, he, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. That's their response. Jesus, we need you to leave our territory. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now notice verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. 
Notice that Jesus is specifically saying, the Bible specifically tells us, that Jesus delivered this guy out of compassion for him. That was the message that he told the guy to tell. Now, this is not specifically an instance of healing, but you can see it's closely related. God's tender mercies are over all of his works because his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Look with me to one final scripture over in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Talking about Jesus being made like unto a man. In human form. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God. Other translations say in all things relating to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them or help them or support them or comfort them that are tempted. Now I want you to notice the connection that it makes here. Because the Holy Spirit is not choosing words by accident. Notice it says that Jesus was made to be a human being. That he might be qualified, that his human experience might enable him to be a merciful and a faithful high priest. Now the joining together of merciful and faithful mean very simply this. It means there is just as much chance of Jesus failing in his job as he's seated at the right hand of the Father to be the mediator, the eternal mediator between man and God as there is for his mercy to fail for you his mercy his compassion his kindness his goodness toward mankind is just as guaranteed is just as sure is just as eternal as his faithfulness now is it possible for Jesus to fall down on the job is it possible for Jesus to not carry out faithfully the work that God gave him to do now that he's seated at the right hand of the father then is it possible for his mercy to fail you? Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And Jesus demonstrated more so than any other way. You look up the word compassion, mercy, or or whatever word you want to use, and look through the four Gospels, you'll find that compassion is used almost exclusively for healing the only exceptions are the connection with deliverance which in one sense are pretty much the same thing when we say the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever whether we know it or not we're saying his willingness to heal his kindness to show his healing goodness to you lasts forever Amen. Let's all stand together. I want you to do something with me. I want you to raise one hand toward heaven. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say this after me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your healing mercy that endures forever. Thank you for your deliverance from all of the bondage of the enemy.
because your mercy endures forever. Thank you that your tender mercies are over all of your works. Your tender mercies are over all of your works to heal because your mercy endures forever. I receive of the mercy of God the healing mercy of God applied to my body. Thank you, Lord, that you never fail. You never refuse to show your mercy to your people. Thank you that your healing mercy is mine. Amen. I hope you know that's sufficient to receive healing for no matter what sickness, how dreaded the disease, how hopeless the condition, what we just did, done from the heart, not from our heads, but from our hearts, is sufficient to break the power of every sickness and disease over your body. Let's lift our hands and thank him for it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you that your healing mercy endures forever. Thank you for your compassion to heal us as individuals, as a church family. Your compassion to deliver us from habits, things that have held us in bondage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here with here with us. Have a great 4th of July holiday. Amen.